1: wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: ACast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com No such thing as a media band. We don't have a media band. Ah no,
0: you do? No we don't. I don't, eat an, I don't eat a donkey eating a donkey palace. There's nothing else cheap.
1: He was massive. Legs, <laughs> ass, built. But I burst out
2: laughing.
3: <laughs> him. What a weekend of club county finals, lads. So, like, I mean, it was full of action, full of excitement. Loads of favourites beaten. ARO were beaten, going for five in a row. Cross McLenn were beaten for the second year in a row. Finn, the great Finn, were beaten Road were beaten St Lomans who were favourites could only draw um, late on so we've lost to get through today but I suppose we have to start with the big news of the weekend and that is the news that the McIntyres have made it to the next round of Ireland's fittest family like I mean this is just the showstopper of the whole weekend Now,
4: talk us through it I'd say those county finals now are surely bigger than me jumping up on bales and carrying sandbags around the place
3: bales of straw I saw this leg um, I didn't see it all I had to put children to bed but uh, the bales of straw you were jumping over them him like a like a gazelle, and your <laughs> your poor father at sixty years of age, he was struggling to get back up that hill.
4: Yeah, you'd think I was jumping over bales my whole life, nearly, wouldn't you? <laughs> but, uh, and the funny thing is, we'd have we wouldn't have even done bales in a few years. We'd we'd usually do a silage pit, so there wouldn't be much bales around the place at home. Right. So but you're uh, not in
3: practice, like Jesus. Some performance considering you're out of practice. I jumping just said. Those uh, bales.
4: I just said like there was no real technique to it. I just said I'd stand back. Run and jump at it, and it kind of it got me over them eventually, eh? yeah. but uh, yeah. The father, he was struggling going up that hill, wasn't it? Oh, he was struggling coming back up. If anybody hadn't seen it, but just
3: before we leave, that there was a purple team on the other side, and I think their tactics was to run into the bills of straw <laughs> instead of jump over them. But, anyways, listen, congratulations. So, where are you at now? Are you in a quarter final, or how many more rounds?
4: Yeah, we're through to the quarter final now. Uh, that'll take, I think that's on in two weeks' time. So, that, thats I think that's in the lake, so uh, there'll be a bit of fun there, a few of us falling into rivers and jumping into lakes. And right. We had a bit of fun, it'll, it'll be funny to watch it. Okay, so you know all the story here, but you're being very secretive about the whole thing.
3: Anyways, onto the GEA now, Mount Belieu, my lock. We say they're the biggest story to start off with here, Lee. Like, I mean, you know, the pretenders in Galway for a good few years, Um, they got over the line for the first time since 1966, they lost a good few finals, four of the last six maybe, and Mike, you know, ended up beating Curra Finn, you know, the, the best team in Ireland probably in the history of club football, um, arguably, so maybe that's the best one to start with.
5: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, uh, for them to finally get over the line, I think it was 1986 that they'd last won it. Um, so, I mean, you think about how long ago that was, it was like Diego Maradona, hand of God sort of thing going six, on at that stage. Right, yeah. yeah, and Val Daly was the was captain back then, and he's the manager now. And now he's got two players, Michael, or two sons, sorry, Michael and John uh, playing on this team. So, like, that's a lovely story in itself. But I mean, it's been a long time coming. They've reached something like, is it four or five finals since 2009? And I think they lost most of them, if not all of them, bar one, two, Corifin. So, like, even just mentally, you know, having to go up against their Tormentors again and getting over the line, it must have been huge. They'll be. They'll be partying
3: all week for sure. (laughs) Big time, big time. Like, I mean, what surprised me is how easy it was, Niall. Like, I mean, it was easy. They took the win in the first half. They dominated the game. But couldn't get out of their half. Like, it was incredible. Carrefin trying to run everything out of their half and getting turned over and they couldn't get their kickouts past Michael Daly and his midfield partner, Matthew Barrett. It's just like, I'd say, Mount Bellum a lot couldn't believe this. Like, this was an easy win for them.
4: Yeah, Carrefin just looked like, and... You could nearly see it from the the very stage of the game. They kind of looked like a tired sort they of a team, and they were kind of. It seemed as if they were dead men walking, and you could see it after ten minutes. Like usually, you'd expect the sort of a, the flow pass and passing moves, but any time they did, they only put them together once or twice, and then I think there were shots dropping short, and it was just very finn like. But Montpellier, they're such a there's some amount of big men, like they're a big, yeah. real fit team, and should have been Finn in the semi final last year as well. So like, they've, they've had a lot of heartbreak in recent years. Like, losing finals and then, like, beat, losing to Cora Finn, then beating Cora Finn, then losing finals. So, like, it, it was it was huge for them to get over the line yesterday. And they, they played like they, they deserved to win it. Like
3: Yeah, the game was over when Owen Finnerty got the goal. Like, I mean, I headed on to watch Portliche, um after that. But he was class in the game Lee like I mean you know he just has that lovely kicking style where he's complete control over the ball and buried the goal brilliantly and he played underage for Galway but kind of looks like a fella who might not be fast enough for the intercounty game or might you know might not get as fit as is required for that level of football but like a club level like I mean this lad is just an assassin
5: Yeah well regardless of county he'll be a club legend now forever um, he's sort of cemented his name into that history, and, and the goal was brilliant. To be fair, um, he was coming off the shoulder, and there was sort of one. The defender did well, to be fair, to try and split the two forwards, you know, and not get drawn out for as long as he could. And um, but when the ball came to him, he'd already made the run. He had that much momentum for it, and he went for power And he sort of he hit, it, it, thankfully hit the the roof of the net, like. And but he you know he knew what he was doing. He was just so clinical, and so clinical the whole match that he picked up the man of the match award as well. Uh, I think. So, like, he's just, it's just, just the, the star man for them. And if not for Galway, like, I'm sure he's happy enough being the star for his club.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. And Michael and John, Daly, we mentioned them. They were very good as well. And they were a huge loss for Galway last year. Um, the Intercounty team, neither of them. John was injured and Michael didn't commit. So it'd be nice for Galway to see them back. You were mentioning Curra Finn just didn't have the same zip about them. And a lot of teams that are on the go an awful long time, you know, that's probably something that happens because, like, I mean, they weren't missing that many. Of say you go back to the team that destroyed Doctor Crokes in the final, that was like the pinnacle of of this Carrick Finn team. Doctor Crokes' great team, missing Gary Sice, who was a very important leader for them, missing Ian Burke, missing Kieran Fitzgerald. Mike Farraher came on as a sub; he didn't start. You're not looking at a huge transition. A lot of their big names were still there. It's just they just didn't have the zip,
4: did they? Yeah, and it's not like they're like too old of a team either. And I suppose that can just happen sometimes. It's mileage, like, when you've, yeah, like when you've won so much. Maybe this year when the hunger just isn't there as much. And you could kind of see that in Corofine. There was times when Mount Bellew kind of were allowed to just play around a bit, nearly at leisure, like, and it was very unlike Corofine. But I suppose when you've won so much, it can be hard maybe to get up for it every single year, like.
3: Yeah, and maybe to be fair to them, like, I mean, a lot of years in Galway, they would just get out of Galway by the skin of their teeth. And then then they'll get through the Connacht Club Championship a little bit easier. Weirdly enough, and then by the time they get to Crow Park, they're destroying teams. So, like, I mean, you know, they're they're starting to get caught in Galway now, um, rather than you know move on um, and kind of build maybe and get everybody back for the later stages of the championship in Clare. Ballier, they'd never won a county title before 2016. Now they have six in three. Now they have three in six years. After a late rally, got them over the line against Ina Kilnemona. Nile DC scored one nine. For Ballier he joins us on the line now. How's it going today, Niall?
2: Yeah, brilliant. Um, we're just still, still enjoying the celebrations anyway after, after yesterday, um, and this' was uh, it's as sweet as anyone when the the third one, um, especially given the, the amount of changes and players that have kind of we've lost over the years and that it's a, it's almost a new team again this year. So uh, it's just as sweet as every other one.
3: Yeah, no. That, so where are the celebrations? I was reading there isn't even a pub in Ballier It's so small.
2: Um. <laughs> Well it, i suppose it's on the border, I suppose, the the local in um in Drum Queen. Um but yeah, I suppose that's a, that's our pub for Ballier and um I suppose it's technically in the next parish back in Batonic Um but that's that's where we go to.
3: Right, okay, that's where you go for the few points. And come here, like I mean, it's it's a it's a strange situation in that, you know, balayier um, you said there was a lot of turnover of players there from two thousand and sixteen, and we know you obviously won the Munster that year um, and got all the way to an All Ireland um, final. But like, I mean, you pull in a lot of footballers from the surrounding areas because you know there there isn't any hurling clubs in West Clare, is that right?
2: Yeah, I suppose we um, we're probably the last hurling club uh, before kind of West Clare. So any any isolated players, uh, I suppose they naturally come to to ourselves. And, uh, I suppose a lot, a lot of the players we had today. Um, I've played the whole way up underage with ballier, and now uh, they're just getting on to the, the senior level.
3: I was reading a stat that you have nine dual players and they play with five different uh, five different football clubs.
2: Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge for Robbie and Dad to manage that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> with uh, football clubs training every evening or, or whatever. But um, yeah, no, it works out in fairness. Um, I suppose we, we've been in we've killed the whole 4 um, Kulmean, um, and, and, Sh- and Shannon Gales as well. So, there's a, a good few different football clubs all pulling into to Balier.
3: yeah. And Ina Kildamona then would have the similar situation pulling in other kind of football. And cl- I'm wondering, is there Ina Kildamona are very close to you? Is there a rivalry? That, is there, would it, that be a big rivalry?
0: Um, not
2: really to be honest. Like, I saw Ina only formed, so. I think it was 15 years ago so like and we Ballier would have been be underage a lot and uh, they'd be they would have been in a different division that, so we wouldn't have actually played each other a huge pile uh, right. although we're two very similar clubs um, kind of rural clubs and have a lot of footballers and that playing for us so um, we'd be very very similar
3: You're kind of blowing the myth that footballers can't play hurling it's usually the other way around any hurler can play football
2: Yeah um, it's, it's just the way we play and that like um I suppose once you have a bit of success, it's very easy to get footballers to come in and, and to do jobs that other lads don't want. Um, and it works for us in that like, we might have a few lads that get all the scores, like, uh, um, but other lads, the, the footballers of the engines and that, um, they do an awful lot of the work behind the scenes and they're happy to do it once the team is successful. So it, it's just kind of worked out for us. I don't know whether there was any master plan there, or it, but. Uh, it just seems
3: to be working for us. So, so, so what I'm reading from that is you bring in a, you bring in five or six footballers to do all the dog tackling and and donkey work, and then the hurlers kind of finish it off on the scoreboard. <laughs>
2: so everyone has their own roles. I suppose
3: that's uh, it works out of it. But, talk to us about the match because it was like I mean you were behind for most of the match. Your penalty. Got you back on level terms. That was the fifty-first minute, and then Aina Kilnamona went two up, and you know probably wasn't looking good for you then um, at that stage.
2: No, it wasn't. Um, and to be honest, like we we haven't been scoring a huge by all year. Um, we've just been kind of grinding out wins and that. Like uh, of of our, I think we played six games this year. We won four by a point, drew one, and then won one, kind of handy enough. Wow. So we weren't really teams away or like that um, but we just managed to grind those teams and um, I suppose we just had a bit of confidence to do that again today
3: That was it I would think he scored four of the last five uh, five points of the match maybe just that bit of experience on the home straight
2: Yeah it could have been um, I suppose it's the fitness of the lads as well like they're they're all animal fish um, and we managed to do that in the four, in like kind of four quarter of a lot of games um, to, to, to get to better teams and we seem to pick teams by a point um, a lot of the time
3: there was a video doing the rounds of Tony Kelly running out onto the field after the match with a bit of a limp on him. He did the warm-up. What, what kind of mind games were going on here?
2: <laughs> I, I think he'd have struggled to get Tony to put down it early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to have a puck on the day. Um, I think he, he talked out, but uh, no, he's been a huge part of it. I was kind of behind the scenes. And I suppose he's, uh, he's went out to coach teams and read the game. Um, quite similar to what Paul did in Paul in 2018 when he got injured. Um, he, he was pretty much a selector for the year, so like Tony just found a new role and a new way to help out
3: Right, but so it had nothing to do with maybe having a Ina Kilnemona thinking he might be playing.
2: No, I don't. I don't think so. Well, <laughs> I wasn't aware of it anyway.
3: <laughs> right. Okay. But it, like, Jesus man, it's a huge win like without Tony because I know all the headlines when you do win but obviously because Tony's such an ex- exceptional player arguably the best in the country to do it without him you know it, it must be huge for the club you know to be able to to, to achieve that
2: Yeah no it, and I, I feel like we we played a couple of games without him now we've kind of have to adapt the way that we play a lot of the time like the lads around the middle can just kind of give it a hand pass and Tony will run onto it and drive it over the bar yeah. it makes their life very easy but now they just have to take it on and try and get into the full forward line of work scores and I, I suppose like the likes of Mossy and Ryan Griffin or, and Aaron Griffin are the, the full forward line of on scores and Colin O'Connor Connor been getting points we just had to change the way we were playing to, because Tony's not in the side anymore um, and it means yeah I suppose it means a lot that we can still win games uh, even when Tony isn't there um, it just shows that we're not a one-man team or anything like that and it feels how important the rest of the lads are to be honest
3: Yeah I saw Anthony Daly um Given out in the examiner that the game was put back for 15 minutes. There was only one gate open, or something like that. And Ina Kilnamona stayed out in the field after the warm up, and you went into the stand. Did you go in and sit down and wait it out, or was it much of a disruption?
2: Um, no, it wasn't any real disruption from our side of things. Like we just uh, we just went up back up to the stand and and took 10 minutes of a break um, instead of kind of poking the ball around and being nervous and whatever else on the field. We just thought it'd be better to go back up to the stand and start again. Um, I don't think it had any real impact on us to be honest
3: Right, right, okay and come here, listen you've been in with Claire for a couple of years now like I mean I, I don't, yeah, maybe haven't been able to stamp uh, uh, you know a full time uh, starting position down or how how has it gone because like you I mean you score very very heavily on a regular basis for Ballier
2: Yeah, no I've actually left the panel um, since last year Um I just can't do the training to be honest um, I've had a lot of handstring injuries over the years and I just cannot train like to be honest with Ballier if I train twice a week I'll be doing well right um, that's, that's all I can do and the week leading up to games I might not train at all as um, well that's kind of where my hamstring injuries have kind of left me and I, I just can't really do the training required required players. so I decided to pull away last year
3: right right sure. obviously playing for your club that's accepted but you know at inter-county level you have to be you, you know you have to be training every single every single session
2: Oh yeah, like you don't really have any chance unless you're there every day and you're you're you all this the session with GPS monitors and every other sort of thing that they have these days, um, you can't really get away with doing any less.
3: No, no, well, that's true. Are you, 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 me and you have a, are both ex Parnell's players. You, you played. You're, you, are, are you finished in Dublin? I'm not going to accuse you yeah, of being well, a, a being a big money transfer or anything like I'm always accused of. <laughs> <laughs> I you,
2: know that was that was just a bit of crack for for a year when I was up there. And, um, I just ended up playing with them in the in the league for a year, but uh, now we're based back at home again. Now I, I work for a company in Dublin, but um, I'm working kind of in Clare uh, the whole time. So, um there's no plans to go back up again anyway <laughs> Right,
3: okay, Th- that, yeah, that was when you were living living in Dublin, and, and like, I mean I was thinking maybe that you're still living in Dublin and the hamstrings are getting, you know uh, tight, driving down from Dublin but you're back in Clare, like, I mean, can you not fix these hamstring issues, or what are they telling you it's it's coming from?
2: Um, to be honest it's just the, the repeated, like I, 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 I constantly strain them Um. and I've so many, I've done my left hamstring, I'd say more than 10 times my right one I'd say nearly the same um, I suppose just every time you do it it gets worse and worse yeah. um, I suppose I've gone to the stage now where um, I don't know if there's any real solution to it
3: Are you building them up? Are you, doing, are you making them stronger? Like, I, I had terrible trouble with my hamstrings as well but looking back on it I never probably did the work to make them stronger
2: yeah, like I, I think what it probably comes down to is my own build. Like uh, my my legs would not be I, like I'm, I'm quite tall and have long legs, and then kind of have a, a bigger upper body, so it's very difficult for them to carry it. Um, right. It's I suppose it's my own physical makeup, as opposed to trying to bulk them up and get away with it. Um, and I suppose once you've once you've done them a few times, you're kind of it's an uphill battle.
3: Yeah, no, it definitely. Is. And Camille, you've belly gunner now, so you're not going. Nothing's going to be easy from from <laughs> from here on in. You couldn't have got a harder draw in yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, sure. That's always the same way. When it was this uh, we never take the easy route. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, we wouldn't have even thought about the Bally Gunner game uh, for today. Even um, we'll worry about that next week.
3: So, so can you confirm that Tony has got the operation, or he hasn't got the operation, or can we see him completely surprising Bally Gunner, um in a couple of weeks?
2: <laughs> no, he Tony totally won't be playing. Um, he, he's got the operation. I think four weeks ago, and he's. Um, like you've probably seen him on the side and like he's probably able to jog around but if he was to, to actually to to run it I'd say it'd be a different story um, and especially once he's got the operation there's no real point in him trying to no. kill himself because he could end up having to get it redone or, or whatever else so what? no, I'd say um, there's no pressure on him at all to play.
3: No. And just just so one final one on that was, was there, were you debating as a team whether he gets the operation or whether he puts it off?
2: No I suppose it's his own decision really yeah um, um, I suppose like if the team can't really tell him whatever. Like Tony's his, his own man, so he can make his own decisions on it. Um, he, he obviously he was he was in pain for quite a long time with it, um, and then I think he just bit the bullet and said, "Hey, I have to get this done," um, because he was only coming on as a sub in, in, in our last game against that he played. Um, so he, he just you know, he, there was no point in kind of uh, just bearing the pain and, and making it a longer rehab process for next year because it could be a couple of months before he's back playing again. So I think he just decided to bite the bullet and get it done.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's probably right. Well, come here, Niall, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you found a nice quiet room there to get away from the celebration. So we really, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and congratulations on yesterday.
2: No matter. Thanks, Alan.
3: Yeah, good stuff from Niall um, there. And it's nice that we can confirm that while Tony Kelly was togged out uh, he just wanted to get a hurl in his hand. He just wanted to be out into the field. Ballygunner have nothing to worry about. He's not coming down the tracks. The opera- he he had the operation.
4: Yeah, I'd say Tony Kelly lives with a hurley in his hand, and he was just mad to get out for a few pucks, maybe after being cooped up the last few weeks. But you could see at the end of the game, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Clear FM had the video on Twitter. The final whistle blown, and it was only a one-point win, and. The subs are running down the stairs, are running down the steps to get out in the field. But Tony Kelly's the first man out, and he's hopping up and down, and you could see he was half limping at the time. Like, but the excitement and the adrenaline, I suppose, the buzz just brought him through. And is not sure like uh, what it means to the club. Like, uh, like for a lad like him, he wasn't playing. But it's still it's great to see how much it means him, you know.
3: Yeah, no, it definitely does. Talk to us about this tip match. I missed this. I was at Port at Port Leash. I saw some highlights on it. There's a bit of a talking point. Obviously, this is Ka- Lo- Lockmore Castellani again, never saying die, like a, an absolutely sensational club. Eight points down at one stage, got back. Second half fight back, <coughs> two seventeen to twenty three points. Um, a sideline at the end that Lockmore Castellani were going a bit mad at. That it was blown up on the sideline without the sideline um, being allowed to be
4: taken. Yeah, like it was a dubious enough sideline as it was. It was kind of just about over the line. And Liam Tracy, the lock more full forward, he kind of picked it up as it was over the line. But the linesman, he flagged and he was given the sideline down the field and Noel McGrath was on his way over. He had scored a sideline about 15, 20 minutes. Scored earlier. one and missed one as well, right? Missed one five minutes earlier. But often you'd find when a lad misses one, the next one, you know, he can he can kind of put it right, like yeah, like, yeah. like a golfer after missing a short putt or something. But Noel McGrath, to like, you know, to have a cut and a cut to win the game, like that would have been a huge thing, like especially when you've someone like Noel McGrath who can score them, and um, like it was it was disappointing. It's a strange way to sort of. Uh, it's hard to know what to do, like it was 30 or 40 seconds over time played at that stage and right. there was a good few kind of scuffles around the midfield and then the ball just broke out for a sideline. So I'd say the ref was, he was about to blow his whistle, but um, it's still a bit frustrating for Lockmore. That's the thing, Lee, what do you think of this?
3: Because if that ball had gone wide, the referee wouldn't blow it up. He'd allow the goalkeeper to puck it out and he'd blow it while the game is restarted. Whereas on a sideline, it's unusual to see a game blown out. Sometimes you see half-time getting blown up, maybe, on a sideline. But full-time whistle generally is blown when the ball is in play. So I suppose that's what Lockmore would be complaining about, that why weren't we given the chance? I suppose the only time it would be in play, Lockmore hoping, is while it's sailing sailing over the bar. But you don't usually see games being blown up when the ball's out of play, do you?
5: No, not usually. The referee usually lets... um uh, for the kick out or the puck out or whatever. Um, to be back into play before they blow it up. I mean, it's probably enough for them to say that, like, they can complain about it. You know, they'll feel hard done by for sure, especially when you've got someone, uh, with the actual capability of potentially, uh, sailing it over the bar. So yeah, I mean, they can feel, they can feel hard done by for sure.
3: Yeah, no, they definitely. John McGrath got his fifth man of the match in a row, so he's been man of the match in the quarter final, semi final, and final of the hurling, and the semi and the, the quarter final and the semi final of the football outrageous now,
4: like it's it's unbelievable isn't it like and I I was and this is a fella that,
3: who was struggling with tip this year talking about
4: making a statement that I'm not I'm, I ain't gone anywhere yeah there was lads saying we need to wrap John Cotton Cotlamone now after this and just let him let him bring it into Tipperary next year but yeah I put that stat up on uh, G.A. Joe because and a lot of people are saying to give to give man of the matches for quarter finals in Tipperary and but uh, I in the local paper the Nina Gargan they always give a man of the match and it was John McGrath every single week and he's the same then the hurling that was on RTÉ and the hurling on TG4 and uh like he's just a man that's on fire at the moment like he's he kind of starts out corner forward but like he pops up he's winning dirty ball in his own half back line these days and he's winning rocks and then he's coming out he's taking a shot at the goal and he's just playing with so much confidence like between the two codes and uh like You can see it when Lockmore are playing. When the ball gets down to John McGrath, like the crowd, that and the team, the 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 whole thing, they kind of think that there's something coming here. Like and like Noel is obviously a tremendous leader for them as well. But John is the man this year. Like,
3: yeah, he definitely seems to be. So Lockmore now have to play a replay, and then they have or next week they have to play the football final, and then they have to play the replay, which is going to be it was 15 this Mm -hmm. this weekend. It's 17 games in a row. Um, which is just sensational, uh, and diff well, look, listen, it's enjoyable for them because they're big games. Lee, they wanted an extra week. Um, I don't think they're going to get it um, after the football final because I suppose if they lose that football final, you know the heartbreak of that, and then having to get back up for a for a game. I think they should be allowed the two the two week break. Uh, myself, what do you think, Lee?
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's only it's, I was going to say it's only fair, but I, like it is a big ask on them, especially if they lose in the football final too. Um, that's that's a lot of games in consecutive weeks, you know, and, and a lot of like like you say, big games. So you got to get yourself, you got to recover quickly. You got to get yourself amped up again and, and mentally prepared and do everything else that needs to go into it. Uh, everything during the, you know, what it's like when a big game, like everything during the week and everything that day leads towards the match in terms of what you're eating, what you're thinking about it. Am I getting enough sleep? You know, it's it can become a bit obsessive. So seeing it all coming like consecutively and as fast as that, it, it is a big demand on on them. So yeah, I mean if they can afford to give them the extra week, they definitely
3: should. It, it might impact on the Munster Club. And I suppose if they'd lost this hurling match, they would only have a week to get over the football final Niles. So it probably just works the opposite way around now. I
4: was reading this morning that it's not going to overlap the Munster Club. I think that must be four weeks away or right. something at So this do you stage. think they'll get it? Well, Frankie McGrath was saying in his post-match interview, he said that, you know, after all that they've done and after all the games they've played, you know, they could do it a week off and... uh I definitely wouldn't begrudge them a week off I wonder
3: are their bodies just used to playing every week and that the extra weekend might just throw them off sync altogether. Now, psychologically, Mm. if they'd lose the football, but if they won the football, I think they might... What would be the harm in bloody playing the next week? Because they're used to it, so used to it, that a two-week break now might be like, Jesus, what'll we do this weekend?
4: It would be strange, wouldn't it? Because I'd say the training these days, like, it's obviously very light. I'd say they're going in on a Tuesday. Yeah. And, like, the buzz from last weekend's match is kind of still carrying them through... And, like, when you're coming in after a win, training is always, like, you know, it's a bit of a buzz and then you have another game coming. So they're not training, I'd say, too hard. You know, it's just match fitness keeping them going. And, yeah, you would think the the extra, like, another week, a week without hurling or football, it'd be strange for them anyway and whether they'd react the same way.
3: Well, that's the thing. So if they were to lose the the football final and then the two weeks to the hurling, they could go to Tuesday night and run the shite out of them and really annoy all the players. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, because usually if you have two weeks... The Tuesday or Wednesday, you might give them a good hard session, you know, and that that whole kind of, you know, uh, routine they have, Lee, would be completely ripped up. Yeah, well, they say. Like, I mean, footballers are creatures of habit,
5: aren't they? I mean, they, they, everyone tries to fall into a routine and and a, and a good one at that, um, to try and prepare themselves for matches. But I was just thinking, if if they give them the break, does the man? How does the management take advantage of that? Does it mean that the Tuesday session is? they're suddenly doing sprints and stuff again once before because their match fitness is obviously where it needs to be yeah. you know that that's where that it's just like like now I'll say tipping over or just keeping on top of that so what would they do with that extra week to be fair i mean do do you push them i, mean, I, I don't think it would because you're not going to get them much better now mm. at this stage uh what they do with the weekend off they probably should still do something together just to keep that sort of Uh, group mentality of like the Saturday or the Sunday is is when we'll, you know, know, team is team time. Um, But it just won't have to be, have the same pressures, which can be mentally fatiguing as well. But I I see your point completely. Like, I mean, it is habit. It is routine that fell into it and it's working for them because look how far they've got clearly. So they're probably... uh, it, it, it's something you could definitely blame it on if it doesn't work
3: out <laughs> well this will be the hindsight thing yeah if they win yeah. it, oh, the two week break <laughs> was great if they lose it'll be the, the opposite what about Tremor then um, Lee like I mean they weren't in the conversation at the start of this year really at all and now they've won it um, very convincingly really like I mean they, they won the second half 10-3 to win it by those seven points it was five all um, at half time and now look I'm looking at their manager Colin McCullough who obviously won All-Ireland with, uh, with Tyrone definitely 2008 well, he might have been on the panel in 2005 that they're a very young team and he's talking about doing back-to-back and it's like Jesus you know this is, this is some turnaround Yeah Colin
5: mean, McCullough he's a very ambitious fella I was always a really big fan of his in Tyrone because in 2008 uh, Stevie O'Neill had retired the, the year before Owen Mulligan was really out of form and out of favour and like it was sort of like the Cillian O'Connor thing this year like where's Mayo going to get their scores it was very like that for Tyrone that going into that year and he stood up and he was a real star that year
3: yeah. um, he's a, so he's a, he's a hero in Drumore yeah, as well he's an ex-soccer player though wasn't that all the yeah, story of yeah. him in, back then that he was the soccer player that gave it up to play GAA that's exactly it, yeah,
5: so he played like a semi-professional in, in the Northern Irish League, <laughs> but he, he gave it up to give the, the GAA a proper whack, and um, for Dromore, he'd, he'd already won three titles as a player, and now he's won one as a manager, and straight away he's talking about being like one of the first to retain a title, so like he's just a hugely ambitious guy, and you gotta, you gotta love it, but um, in the match itself, you know uh, at halftime, Kalin were probably the more comfortable, uh, the more seasoned with the big games, like Dromore were a little bit nervy, uh, in the second half though they really came to life, and um Nile Sludden sort of took to the front and it was all about, well, you take no surprises in guessing and McNabb was one of the stars of the show, uh, Emmett McNabb in this occasion, you know, he scored six points in the game and when you think of Toronto as a county and you think of the firepower that they have and like, you know, Matty Donnelly, Dara McCurry, uh, Dara Canavan, Cal and Connor McKenna, these really big names in the forward line. Am um, at outscored all of them this year in the championship, you right. know, and he's only 23 years old, and I'd be very surprised if we didn't see him in the red and white of Toronto in some capacity next year. Of course, that's up to him as well, but like you say, a very young team, and he's one of the people
3: uh, leading that line. He need he need to do a good good strength and conditioning program, though. He is mm-hmm. he is light, isn't he? He's lovely left foot, and I actually thought in the last game because it was early in the game where. He had a chance off his right, and it was very obvious. You know, these obvious left footers, he was kept trying to come back in on his left. I was like, Jeez, this <coughs> this chap is a, a an old school thirteen that has no right. And then he scored a lovely pint off his right in the second half, and I was wondering, Jesus. You know, like he he has both feet. He he is a little bit light. He probably needs to bulk yeah. up a little bit.
5: Yeah, well I think Paul Donahue, he was sort of like that last year. He came to the front. Like he's, he's a skinny fella. I know he's very tall, um, and he looks a lot stronger this year, and he must have been doing his strength and conditioning and stuff. But that is all stuff that you can work on, you know. And, I mean, it, it's up to him, obviously, Um, uh, if he want, if he's going to put in that work. He's only 23, so he's still naturally growing and everything else, you know, becoming a man and that. So I, I think, you know, he's got all the potential. He ticks all the boxes everywhere else. And just as from a Jerome perspective, trying to take positives from it, you know, I I'd love to see him. Uh, involved and he's one of. Uh, I seen this stat. It was so the under 14 final in 2011 was Khalilin v. Draymore, and seven players who were on that team for Dramore were playing last night as well, himself included. So it's good to see you know that they're retaining their youth and they're coming through. And, and this is them all uh, coming to the forefront now. And they've already got one senior uh, title in their back pocket. a
3: seven on seven from the under 14 team. Yeah, geez, that's, yeah, think- that's 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 something like I mean, they, they say you get. Three from a minor team to play senior, you know, you're doing mm. well. Seven from an under 14 team. They're a very tight knit town, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, they're very near Trillick, and Trillick would be very much the same. Um, just a little bit on the outskirts, not as near uh, civilization. <laughs> as <like> say. <laughs> they're madmen. <laughs> they're um, madmen in Tramore, Is that yeah. what you're trying to say?
3: <laughs> yeah, it football's
5: everything to them, absolutely. You only, well, like, look who's like Ryan McMenamin's from there, like, and that, that sort of answers enough questions. He, um, that sort of mentality, you know, football is everything to them boys. Like, and like Tiernan Slotten was definitely on that under-14 panel as well, you know, and now just would have been a couple of years older. But um, like, it, it's great to see that, you know, they're com- coming through the ranks and we talked a little about like Glenn in previous years, how a lot of their minor team, but came to the front. So to go all the way back to under-14 and identify them, seeing seven players, a lot of them in similar positions as well. Um, and it was the, the nippy corner forward, you know, it was like, it's, it's just brilliant to see and it's, it's a really good advertisement for the club.
3: Yeah, I kind of would class Tyrone as a county kind of madman. But imagine being the madman town <laughs> of the madman county. That would like, I mean, a few pints up in Drumore. I'd say Monday now would be very sweet up there in Dromore. Um You know, but the, the final actually wouldn't mind it getting someone from Drumore on, on the show. But the final finished so late. It finished late last night. It's a strange time for a county final, really, yeah. Um, Lee. Yeah,
5: it was. I mean, it was very late in the night. Uh, there was a lot of people there was just a lot of complaints about it because first of all there was the whole the ticket thing uh they were charging people under 16 i think it was 3 pound for for kids to to play when they weren't charging them you know throughout the championship uh, Ricey was talking at half time uh, you know he was there doing a bit of punditry and he he was mentioned it was the first thing he mentioned just about how like uh, the drone ga board and the ga in general trying to like sort of turn it into capitalism and all this kind of thing and and turn it into money so people, people were annoyed about that and then it was it turned out as well that TG Khar did want the air of the match yeah they didn't want them to because they'd lose out you know on on the cash because like, I had to pay for it as well like so they've got my money anyway but um and then just the, the charging underage, i think is what really uh rifled a few people and then i think the time period like the fact that it was on so late was so that it wouldn't clash with any um, the other matches, you know, they were really thinking ahead of that, but they just weren't thinking of like, like all our, you know, club final day. Like it's a day celebration thing, you know. The match is on early enough, and then you you really enjoy your evening and your night. But listen, they'll they'll make up for it. You know, there'll be no shortage of of celebrations all day today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week.
3: Yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure there will. Kilmaco croaks and the Fianna <clears throat> gave us great entertainment on on Saturday night. I was delighted. Um, I sat down to watch this one. Like, I mean, Jesus, Donald Burke scores a goal in the second fifty first minute put Nafina nine points ahead and they'd been the better team right up until then and they'd never won it and then they, then they started to shit themselves and you give Kilmacook Croaks <clears Crokes throat> a bit of credit for coming back but even in the comeback so they're nine points down they managed to, Ronan Hayes managed to blast the penalty wide and then not long after that, a very, very routine uh, point off his left-hand side went wide and he screamed, you know, whatever mm-hmm. he screamed to the crowd. I was like, I, in, like I was saying, Jeez, that poor chap, his head's gone now and, you know, he's going to be the villain and he's the inter-county player. And incredibly, they ended up getting a goal... um, the midfielder, Oshin O'Rourke. O'Rourke, got it. Got it. Um, the Fina player tried to actually trip up the trip up <laughs> the chemical crooks in the, setting it up the corner back, I think it was. He buried that from an impossible angle. You might blame the goalkeeper there. And then to leave it, a finish with the last book of the game coming down and Ronan Hayes, just unbelievable that it came to him and he ran through the defence and stuck it in the corner. Like, as far as I was concerned, like the game was pretty much over then. It was a draw, extra time, and Roland Hayes scored six points an extra time. So he went from incredible mental strength from him. He went from me feeling incredibly sorry for him, going, ah, oh, Jesus, you know, like, I mean, how will he recover from this? Like, to being the hero of the day.
4: Like, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a turnaround like it. Yeah, like he missed the penalty. I think it was in the 55th minute. Yeah. And like, it, it was a go- it was nearly high and it was wide as well. Like, it wasn't a great strike. And no. then two or three minutes later, the ball comes down to him. He was one on one with his man, and you're thinking there's a goal on here, and he missed. He tried to rise the ball, and he missed it twice. He eventually got it in his hands and hit it wide, like from about from about thirty yards. and You're thinking like Ron Hayes is like his head is completely gone. And at that point, he should have been trying to work a goal. I thought like yeah, why was he even going a, for the point? Then there you were know? four or five down at that stage. I'd yeah. say yeah. So he was he was str- like he was struggling, and he, I could see him. He looked up at the sky, and he was like, and you're thinking this isn't going to be his night, like but. He comes back again and it's, it, it, was, it was deep into out of time and the ball comes across and it was a tough ball to win because Nafina full back he had his hurl in as well. I think it was Kevin Burke he had his hurl in and he kind of swung across and Ronan Hayes just got in before him like he showed like bravery kind of as well as sort of a bit of confidence to win it and when he went on the run he probably took steps like but they're never blowing for them no. but you knew it was going in like You did at that stage it just looked and you just knew then that when that final
3: whistle went Nafina were gone they put so much into it. They'd never won it before, and now that just heartbreaking goal. It, like, I mean, it's very hard to go out to extra time and try and lift yourself all over again. They look like they were out on their feet.
4: There were so many stages during the game where you're thinking, like, "Nafina, have this game won again?" Like, it was, yeah. I'm not sure how many points they were up by at half time, but, but when it got to 50 five, minutes, I think, yeah. five at half time, you're 50 minutes, you're up by nine, and then Rowan and Hayes misses that penalty, and you're like, "Well, we are like." we've got away with that one. Like, we've got away with the scare. We're home and hosed here. But, jeez, they just, they kind of, like, Kilmock had another goal chance as well just before owning Hayes one, yeah. like, and Nafina just seemed to... Drop
3: back a bit or whether something. Whether
4: it was tiredness or, yeah, or just kind of towards the finish and you're nearly there and you're just trying to kind of see it out and you're not really hurling anymore. And that's what it was like, like, and... Because they played such brilliant hurling. They're a young team, like, and... Like the likes of Sean Curry, he was very good. Yeah, geez, his first half was like he was unbelievable, scoring points. Yeah, and
3: Ono Donald said about him that he's like he's seen as the big thing now with Dublin because they need inside forwards. What, like, because I wasn't sure, I hadn't heard about Sean Curry, but he must be only out of minor or something or under twenty one because he said we're waiting for him now. He's the he's the one we're counting on or
4: something to that effect. This was his first year in the Dublin senior panel. He's he's 22, like, and he was... 22? Well, then he
3: can't be a great white. Like, usually, the really top players, you know, have made an impact when they're 19 or 20.
4: Mm, Yeah, like, he was a good minor. So maybe it is strange enough that he hadn't been in the Dublin panel before this year. But I'd say after watching that performance now, well, the first half especially, like, the way he kind of... He had a bit of of a carefree about him. He was just... The first ball he got, the goalie hit a puck out to him and he just boomed it into the night. Like, he wasn't... There was, was a bit of a Peter Casey about him or something. That yeah, there was no fear or ranting like yeah. But Like, you're kind of thinking now for Dublin, if they've a, if you could have a full forward on him and Ronan Hayes. Like, we were watching the game in the house and we said Ronan Hayes. Like, if you're trying to build a hurler, like, he has everything. Like, because not only is he tall and strong, like, he's also fast and he's got brilliant hands, like, brilliant kind of stylish strike. Like, do you know the way... Yeah. Sometimes I'd say it's probably wrong that Dublin don't have these sort of stylish forwards who can maybe score from like from a really from not much of an opportunity. Like he could score from anywhere because he's just so skillful. And if you're the two of them inside, like it'd be a good full forward line. Yeah,
3: yeah, maybe it would. So like I was thinking that this um, this extra time is a bit cruel, um, Lee. Like I mean, whatever, because you want to run off a knockout championship pretty quickly and all that kind of thing, and we understand that, or whether it's a knockout championship or not. But I do. Agree that you know ec- replays in quarterfinals, semifinals, and pushing the whole thing out. But a lot of counties are not going to extra time in their finals. They're 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 they're, they're having replays, and I don't know. Like I think Nafina deserved the replay in that match, you know, because they were gone after extra time the way it turned out. And I was just thinking, Tullamore obviously beat Rhodes yesterday in the replay. Two weeks they got to lick their wounds after a similar devastating end where they're four points up and now McNamee gets 1-1 one, one and and if that game went to extra time with Tullamore and Road you would be saying Road have their tails up here they'll probably go on and win this Tullamore are, are devastated do you know what I mean do you think do you think for, for counties they should just standardise this that a county final and I know we were talking as well with Clot Collar, they had they had Willie Dunphy stag the next mm-hmm. week and that's the last thing they wanted was a bloody replay because psychologically players kind of want the thing ended that day, but I don't know. Like, what's the fa- what do you think's the fairest for for county final a replay? Are you happy enough? Like, kilmacud won't be arguing about the extra time, I suppose. If you look at it from their point of view, yeah, no, I mean, I think
5: I think I have to disagree with you. I, I'm a I'm a fan of the extra time. Like, I mean, it's a big ask. I understand that completely, and I know we're saying that. Like, so with Ronan Hayes in that situation, you know, uh, the pendulum of momentum completely. Uh, started to swing towards uh, Kilmaco croaks and Nafina, maybe they couldn't recover from that. But like, I wouldn't say that that's unfair that that happened. You know I mean? You got to look at, if you look at it really harshly, the fact we, you know, like from a, from a neutral point of view, you sort of want to see Nafina do it, you know, because it's the first time and stuff and you, you love to be a part of that story. But like if they conceded a goal that late in the game, like it's still on them. You know we shouldn't reward them with like an extra two weeks to lick their wounds and then come back again for it. You know they they just have to deal with the consequences <clears throat> there and then. Uh, Kilmauk Crooks they, they had the momentum and then it, that was that would have been much the same situation with Road and Tullamore. Uh, now McNamee's goal uh, went in and then their tails would have been up and you, well you imagine they would have pushed on. But you know it's not guaranteed either. You know it's uh, a lot of great finals or a uh, good extra time and both teams um get a little something from it as well. Like then Gallon Clark's, you know, they wouldn't have finished the game last year if we had to keep uh, to, uh, going to replay after every game yeah. that they're involved in. But um, I don't know. I just think it's still it's still on the day, and then you got to put it dude to preparation as well. Like if the teams know beforehand that there's extra time, and you got to be preparing for that, you know, uh, whether that's to do with your conditioning or just psychologically, even talking about the possibility of that, so it doesn't catch you cold when it does happen like you know soccer teams when they're preparing for finals or in international tournaments and stuff they always practice penalties you know they don't go into the game looking for it to go to penalties by no means but they know that it's a possibility so they practice it on the changing ground and you know get their heads around it beforehand so extra time i mean it's harsh but i, I still think it's maybe the fair of the two
3: what do you think, Nile? Like, I mean, I, I'm not arguing for an abolishment of extra time. I just think in finals, you know, something like that. I do it. Do, maybe I'm being influenced a little bit by feeling bad for Nafina, who had been so good, you know, in that game. But generally, the smash and grab team towards the end of a game, they, get the, they have the, the momentum then. And, you know, for extra time where, it, you know, is that fair? It's not like we're, I don't want to sound like we're rewarding Nafina, you just have a policy that, regardless of who comes back late, even if it is Nafina, that the policy is a <coughs> replay and the county board get an extra payday as well. It can, maybe it can be a bit fu- frustrating for players, the, the few players who do want it um, ended on the day. I don't know, most counties have the replay policy, um, really, don't they?
4: Like, it should probably be a uniform sort of a thing, I'd say, like, because for Nafina, they're probably looking over at, say, someone like... Uh, a
3: Tipperary yesterday has gone to a replay. Yeah, like
4: in Tipperary and that's gone to a replay and they're like, well, like why is it not a... Re- why is it a replay there and we're not getting a replay? Like it's probably... It should be like the the same in, in every county, I'd say. But um, yeah, it is it is a tough one. Like it was just, it, it's just... It's kind of... Nafina, like I know... Like there were dead men walking, weren't they? Like you just knew... You knew gone. it was
3: gone like and... Yeah, it was just so heartbreaking to throw away the nine points.
4: And like, I mean, then like we're saying, Tullamore
3: beat and they got the two weeks to to get over it they won another 20 uh, county title on the Thursday before it that probably gave them a good mm-hmm. distraction you know and now they have confidence back after winning that and they destroyed uh, Road yesterday Rode only scored they only had two scores um, Anton O'Sullivan scored 1-1 one, one. that was a, a stoppage time consolation penalty mm-hmm. and Rory McNamee scored scored three points so a really really convincing um, win for Tullamore you know so maybe that balance of power might be slightly shifting like Niall McNamee who was the hero it didn't get a score like talk about learning from from the the first day now
4: yeah exactly like they obviously like they would have been so sick in the way that first game ended like because they probably should have just known to sort of stick with Niall McNamee we talked about that goal there was kind of poor defending involved in conceding it like and um, like fair play to Tullamore People would have probably thought coming into this game like that they they're kind of the underdogs and they've had their chance now, and like you'd nearly compare road to Kilkenny back in the day whenever it went to a replay, like road road will take care of this. But Tolmore were obviously the better team the first day. Well, the fact that Alan MacAmie was gone might have influenced that, but they were definitely the better team here and yeah. um, definitely deserved a win. It's the first since I think it was t- twenty thirteen, so it was. Uh, Definitely a great win for them.
3: Yeah, and they're winning at underage now, so we might see Tullamore taking over road as the big team. Um, in awfully a shout out to Kevin O'Brien, who's a, a colleague of ours in the media. He's a GA journalist with the Forty Two. He's wing back um, for Tullamore, so he's flying the flag. You know, showing that listen, we're, we're not we don't just talk about uh, GA. Some of us actually play it um, as well. Interestingly, with Kevin, his father Benny won a county title with St. Bridget's in Roscommon in 1990, 1997. He was a selector in 2013 when they won the All-Ireland Club and he managed St. Bridget's in Roscommon to a county title uh, last year. So that's a nice little one. I saw Kate Curran congratulating him last night, Lee, that he, the, the family now have won two county titles in two different counties.
5: Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, and showing that journalists can actually walk the walk and uh, not just talk the talk not in this situation obviously I, I just talk the talk um, Niall's a TV star now as well so he'll be leading the, the GAA world I'm sure but no fair play to Kevin he's actually out there doing it and yeah I mean it's it's unreal
3: yeah good for him uh, good for GAA journalists all over the country um, as well for a, a county title we'll, we'll all kind of celebrate this or on, Kev- Kevin <laughs> on <O'Brien>. Kevin's behalf <laughs> so Cross McGlain were shocked in Armagh Clon Aaron scored two late goals um, to win it for the first time in 53, I read, in 58 years. Anyways, our former senior analyst, Stevie MacDonald, was at this one and he joins us on the show now. Welcome back to the show, Stevie.
0: Good man, Wally. It's been a while since I've been on, so it's great to be back.
3: Well, you're too busy for us now, you see. That's the problem.
0: Ah, too busy. I'm still trying to build a business up, you know, so <laughs> dedicate more time for it.
3: Yeah, exactly. Come here, so you were at this match. Hey, from reading the reports on this, Stevie cross McGlenn were completely coasting.
0: They were coasting in terms of um, the scores, uh, but in terms of the overall play, Iron were were very much in, in the game. Um, I thought they were very controlled in possession. Probably it was 50-50 in terms of possession of, of, of the ball. Right. And uh, the the one thing that impressed me about Iron throughout was they didn't score for the first 15 minutes of the game, and they didn't score for the first 15 minutes of the second half. But they never seemed to the panic. They kept chipping away. Even though Cross Mclenn went into a six-point lead in the second half, they never panicked and kept chipping away at scores. And, and when goal opportunities presented themselves, particularly the first one, they were ruthless with taking it.
3: Yeah, it was Rory McDonald. It says a spectacular goal. What kind of a goal was this one? The first one.
0: Yeah, Rory McDonald. Um, from my memory, um, it was a it was a kick out caught by Ryan Henderson down down the far wing and a fantastic. Uh, Ball and uh, it was it was very much a fifty fifty ball, but um, he won it uh, over two Crossmaglen players. Turned, and he was kind of hesitant in terms of was he going to go direct for goal or take the point. But um, once he seen the gap opening up, he went straight for goal, and from about uh, probably about twenty yards out, um, rifled the ball. To the roof of the net, it was it was a spectacular goal and a great finish. And um, people might say that the keeper could have done better, but the pace that the ball was kicked at, um, I believe certainly, um, it was unstoppable.
3: Well, this is what you've always told us when you're on the show, Stevie. If in doubt, drive your
0: drive your boot through it. Yeah, put the ball as hard as you can. You know, how often do we see goals placed and and um, you know put into Bottom corners is not not too often. You know, I I believe the best way of, of going for goal is is get your get your foot through it as hard as you can. And Rory McDonald certainly done that, and it gave the goalkeeper no real option. You know, it, very little time to react to it, and and it, it definitely was a goal worthy of, of winning the championship final. But um, certainly the the second goal they got they got was very very um, lucky indeed. Yeah, in this was a fluke, right? It it, it it was a fluke there's no doubt about it but it was a big mistake and a big blunder and on behalf of the Cosmo Glen goalkeeper and you, you have to feel sorry for him he was absolutely distraught at the end of the, the game but you know from where i was sitting it was it was a lofted ball into the into the goal area and you you always say if you get the ball in there anything can happen it actually bounced over the the full forward and the full back i think it was um James Morgan was, was competing in there at the time, and it bounced over their head. And I actually thought that it was bouncing over the bar, and the goalkeeper um, thought that it was going wide. Um, and it ended up bouncing right into the top top uh, corner of the goal Jeez. and hit the crossbar, hit the post, and came across the goal and into the goal. It was, listen, um, it's it's a goal that you you wouldn't see too often happening, and. You know, obviously the goalkeeper was in a much better position and thought that, um, you know, it was certainly going wide. That's all I can take it. And I was letting it go, go wide, but it caught him on a worse. Um, It was a huge um, shock to everyone. But um, listen, the, the earn player put it in the mixer. And, and once it's in there, anything can happen. And it was certainly a very, very lucky goal. So it was, and it put them, put them a point up. But after that... Uh, Rayne O'Neill kicked over a fantastic, a fantastic free from probably 50, 55 yards to draw level. But right. once again, Clannurin had a couple of minutes and they showed tremendous composure. Conor Turbot, who was exceptionally good throughout the game, um, kicked a fantastic score from play and then he kicked the point from a free to, to seal the deal.
3: Right, so I was thinking maybe that late goal, there was more action after it. Turbot then was the, was the match winner. He He's really kind of pushing on, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's a fantastic inside forward. Um, listen, he would walk into any club team in Armagh. His movement, um, his willingness to show for the ball and his ability to take men on and get scores from play and be a very reliable free-taker as well is, is very important to the Clenard, uh team. And I thought he was exceptional yesterday. Listen, he scored, he scored eight points. I think four of them were from play. It shows his, his capabilities as a forward. Um, but throughout, uh, you know, I was really impressed with the Clan Iron team, particularly Ryan Henderson. Ryan Henderson's 37, 38 years old now. He started the game at 11, but he played everywhere. He played as a sweeper. He played in half back lane. He played a wing halfback. He was an option for kids. Well, he was the, the the link player between defence and attack and, and really got the, the team moving and gelling together. But man for man, um, Clannard were very much worth their, their victory. I yeah, thought they were very good. Um, Cross McGlenn had some very good individual performance as well. Um, it was the best that um, I've seen James Morgan play in quite a while. I thought he was very, very good. He scored an exceptionally good point as well. Um, Rayne O'Neill, in and out of the game, um, once again come up with four or five points. Couple of exceptionally good points, and and no, none more so than the one that drew the game level, uh, with time almost up. Um, but it it wasn't enough. Kane McConville was good further away from goals, but once he get in close to goals, um, and Clanearn had their homework done and, and snuffed out his threat. So um, you know, overall, um, if you're a earn supporter, you'd be very very happy with how your team performed. I thought. The, even even in the first 15 minutes of the game you, you would think that they would be very jittery and nervous but they were very composed on the ball and didn't let the occasion get to them even though they didn't score in that period
3: yeah, I was. Going, I thought you were going to say, if you're a Clan Aaron supporter, you'd be very, very tipsy right now. By the time this uh, this show <laughs> well, this show goes out, I, I, I wouldn't.
0: I wouldn't think it'd be tipsy at all. I'd
3: be very <laughs> got, drunk. God, past tipsy. <laughs> Claire, where, Stevie, where have they come from? I, I have to hold my hands up. And say, I don't know anything about Clanairn. Like they beat Bally McNabb in the semi final, no cross Mcglenn. Like, uh, uh, is, is this been completely out of left field, or have you been expecting these to make a no. breakthrough?
0: No, um, Clanairn have put in a. Uh, I suppose a template twenty years ago, and I think it was a twenty-year plan that they wanted wanted to implement to win a championship within twenty years. This started in the year two thousand, and it took wow. them twenty-one years. But you know, and um, the they, they went and done it. Um, they have they've had a good bit of success in the last decade at underage level. A lot of those players coming through legs of Brian McCambridge, uh, Tiernan Kelly, um, you know even. Connor Turbot, they would have had success at underage level. So nice. they're they're used to winning, and um, Shea Hefferin boys, have got the, they have tasted success. They've been very, they've been coached exceptionally well uh, over the last fifteen twenty years, and the club is well run at underage level. And therefore, eventually, these talented players were going to make the breakthrough. Don't forget, they also beat in the first round. They beat Mary so did Mahary were the reigning champions as well. So they beat probably the three most consistent teams in Armagh over the last six, seven years in terms of and um, Bally McNabb and Cross McGlenn. So, you know, they fully deserve um, their victory yesterday. Right.
3: Could there be a changing of the guard here? Like, I mean, Cross McGlain lost the final last year, they've lost this final. Is the Oregon away from Cross McGlen? Now, they still have a good team, but they're not the, they don't have a Games won before they go out, maybe, like they used to.
0: Um, listen, Cross will always bounce back. There's no denying uh their capabilities to do that. But what yesterday those, it probably instilled a bit more belief throughout the county that um within other teams as well that they can possibly uh, take on Cross My own team, uh Clavey, Got beat by them last year in the semi-final by a point. Yeah. Um we were we played them this year in the quarterfinal and the game was all square with five minutes left and we got a man sent off and cross McGlenn pulled away at that stage. So, you know, there's teams knocking on the door at the minute and, and having more belief in their playing Cross McGlen. And that's only gonna be uh better overall for our math football as a whole. But listen, um would you rule Cross McGlenn out in the next couple of years? Absolutely not. You'd be foolish to do that. They, they still have underage teams coming through that are pretty successful as well. And Cross McGlen, you know, take one, two young one or two young players to to the senior team every year that are very successful and uh, gel into the team quite comfortably as well. So I wouldn't rule them out, but um I would say that other teams throughout the country or throughout the county um will take a lot of belief from Clan Iron winning yesterday um, and also from Ma- uh, Mary winning last year you know that's now a couple, couple of years that Cross McGlenn have won it in the past when they haven't won it they bounced back the following year and won it so nice. um, they, weren't, they weren't a million miles away yesterday but Clan Arne were you know fully deserving of their victory
3: One last word before you go on Kalivi, you've obviously mentioned them when you were on the show Kalivi weren't up you know nearly beating Cross McGlenn where's this improvement come from?
4: Listen, there's a,
0: a crop of young players coming through now. Um, that we haven't had a lot of success at underage level. We were beating the minor final um a few a few years ago. We won the under nineteen league there just two weeks ago. So there's young players that are very, very talented players. cleavy have always had talented players, but um listen, they're only knocking on the door. Ultimately, I believe for Clevee to kick on, they have to beat the likes of Crossmaglen in a game they've been very close in the last few years. But um, they have to look at the Astrodos final and take some belief from that as well. Because Van Earn come off from Division One B this year and won the championship, so why can Clevee not do it? You know, we finished fourth in Division One A, so certainly. it opens the door not only for Clevy, for the likes of Barry to have more belief, the likes of uh, Graham Moore, teams that, you know, are really competitive in, in league football but certainly can kick on as well.
3: Yeah, listen, it definitely does give 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 all the clubs in, in our a bit of belief. Stevie, thanks very much for filling us in on that one.
0: No problem, Colin.
3: Yeah, good stuff from Stevie there. Like, it, it's interesting, um, Lee, like, I mean, I mentioned this at the top of the show, you have Cora Finn losing, you have Cross McGlenn losing, you have Port Leash losing, you have Kula losing in Dublin, um, not in the final, but earlier on. The piercing out in Limerick. You have Airog, um in Carlo going for five in a row and beaten. It hasn't been a good year for the for the super clubs around the country.
5: No, no, it hasn't. Um, and you can even throw in uh,
3: Derry, sloc Neil and Corrigan yeah. from Antrim yeah. in
5: that sort of category. And um, um, St.
3: Vincent's in Dublin. It's been a disaster yeah. for the big clubs, yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah, look, we, we've talked a little already about it being like the year of the underdog. We've mentioned that in a couple of the shows. But maybe it's the year of the decline as well, because it's it, that's another factor of it. And it's sort of fitting that, you know, like at the turn of the decade, like 2021 is when like the GAA landscape seems to be changing across. Um, the sign of a good team is, you know, a team that wins something. But like uh, the really, really great teams, it's the longevity, the win stuff, and then they stay up there. And the challenge, the real challenge behind that is having your transition years Still managing to win trophies, you know, by bringing players through, losing players, but it's still all keeping at a certain standard where you can uh, bring home silverware. Uh, but everything works in cycles, the GAA included. And, like, you know, it's sometimes like the younger, uh, the next batch of players through just, you know, just aren't as good as their predecessors. So there's just a lot of people retire, injure, get injured all at the same time. And there's just new blood from uh, the different clubs and they're really improving and coming to the front. Um so it's just, you know, the end of a lot of these team cycles, but you know, they'll they'll come again.
3: Yeah, probably being a bit harsh on Cross Glen, who are a young team and Ayrogue who are a young team. I don't think they're going anywhere. Portlaoise definitely in trouble. Um St. Vincent's is definitely in trouble. Cora Finn probably look like they're a little bit tired in trouble, Kula probably look like they're tired and in trouble. Probably a bit harsh in the Piercing too, Niall, am I? It's just a bad year. I'm not saying all these teams are being written off. It's just a bad year for the big teams.
4: Yeah like all those clubs you've mentioned like they've been brilliant over nearly the the guts of a decade like and I suppose like when after there's only so long you can keep that going for. Yeah. And sometimes when there's young lads coming in, you, there was a few new faces in the Cara Finn team yesterday and they just like obviously they're not going to be as good as the lads that like some of the lads that were there before them are still there, but there's some maybe the few lads are gone and there's new lads in and it just it changes up the team. And it can be hard to keep it going like when I suppose when the team is changing and there's more young clubs snapping at your heels like so.
3: Yeah. No it definitely is. So Port Arlington won in Leash. Um, I was up at this one. They won very very easily like I mean you know, they were one treat to no score up after seven minutes. And like, you're wondering, you know, there was a very kind of contrast to the two styles of both teams. Like Port Harlington were fast. They were moving the ball fast down the field, kicking it a lot, whereas Port Leash were incredibly laboured, using the hand pass way too much. Every single one of their attacks seemed to end up in, you know, the stalemate situation where Port, Port weren't overly defensive, but they'd have 10 leads back and Port Leash couldn't get through them. And they're moving the ball over and back the field dreadfully boring to watch and then they take a pot shot you know when they get frustrated and nothing's really come you know there's no gaps appearing and they end up kicking it wide I think they're 10 wides in the first half but they weren't 10 wides where you go you know this was a close game Port Arlington were incredibly impressive um, team have to say 2-7 to 2 points up at half time and the game was over um, like I said, play a lovely, lovely brand of football, a brand of football that Leash would have uh, would have played uh, down, through the, down through the years, kick passing a lot, a lot of running off the ball um, you know, moving the ball fast, getting the ball up to your forwards and a nice bit of interplay, so like I mean Port Arlington, without a shadow of a doubt I, I was trying to talk up potentially Leash because they were decent in the second half or in the semi-final against Ballerone but that just shows how poor Ballarone were. Port Harlington are by far and away the best team in Leash. Um, you know, arguably, they'll give Leinster a rattle on the, on yesterday's evidence. They are very, very, very good. Um, their manager, Martin Murphy, um, incidentally, that's his fourth county title. So he has two with Port Harlington. Port Harlington are like clock balacalla in Leash. Last year's delayed finals. So they've won They won one 13 weeks ago and now they've won another one. Um, it's not easy to do it back-to-back. Only Port Leash have been, you know, able to do that in recent years. But Martin Murphy, that's his ter- fourth county title in Leash and it's his third one to beat Port Leash in. So they won it in 2005 um, against Port Leash and Strat- with Stradbally when they would have been really, really strong underdogs because Port Leash were in the all Ireland Club final that same year. And they... Stop Port Leash doing 10 in a row in 2016. So Port Leash don't like Martin Murphy very much, but I have to say he gets his teams playing playing very, very... I think he's an awfully man from Gracefield or somewhere like that. He has Port Arlington playing great stuff and they have good players in the right positions. You know, Robbie Piggott centre-back, Paddy O'Sullivan, who was outstanding at moving the ball fast um, yesterday, a good mobile midfield and their full forward line, you know, is very good as well. So, like, I mean, a very, very good team Um, very impressive very disappointed from Portlaoise's point of view um, the way they played but unfortunately from Portlaoise's point of view there's new kids on the block Lee and we just have to suck it up we've dished out a good few hammerings in county finals and we have to just take the bitter pill of being on the receiving end of it we're not used to it and it was a weird match to watch but look that's that's the way it is
5: yeah that's it I mean uh you were sort of building them up last week, and then just before we talked uh, about Leash last week, we were talking about throne and siege mentality and making everyone, uh, you know, trying to make everyone out against you and stuff. So I reckon there was maybe pictures of you up in the changing rooms, <laughs> all the quotes from the GAR, and throw a dartboard maybe next to it, and they used that as as fuel. But um, no, I mean it was fantastic. There was from, from their point of view uh, to win two titles and what was it like thirteen weeks just because of the delayed twenty twenty yeah. season. And then I think they won a league. They pick up a league in between that as well. So I mean, what you know, a a roller, not even a roller coaster. I mean, because it's all upwards. You know, they're just loving it Uh, this last couple of months. And then I did was sort of talking off air. I read about it. This is actually the second time that they've won two championships in a calendar year. Uh, They won the delayed nineteen fifty four title and uh, a lot, and then a couple of months later won the nineteen fifty five title as well. So to be a team to actually do this really unusual thing twice. It, that must be must be on of.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I, I mentioned a good few of the Port Harlington players. Colin Murphy obviously who's a Leash uh full forward, corner forward. Um he's playing his brother David Murphy, who I would have played with, with Leash a long time ago. He's up thirty six, thirty probably thirty seven now. And they have uh Jake Foster who's only a small little fella and he's he doesn't he hasn't played with Leash seniors. But Jesus like we're talking about uh Emmett McNabb, you know, he's a, a very, very good scorer and he's a flyer and he's a disaster to Mark So and they have a coffee at Centre Forward who's a a lovely player as well. Like I said just play a lovely brand of football and are a very good team. So when they won obviously their first county title in about 20 years um, 13 weeks ago they obviously couldn't go into a a Leinster club. Um, I was texting a few different lads and There is a big tradition in Leash that whoever wins in Leash, the whole county roll behind them and I'd have no problem rolling behind Port Arlington after watching them yesterday. They They were outstanding and I think they can give it to anyone in Leinster. I'm really, really impressed with them now. So they play the Westmead champions in two weeks' time Westmead final obviously went to a replay. I think they have that that at home and then they have the Dublin champions at home. So look, um, we'll see how they go. Maybe I'm overrating them from a poor league championship. I don't know. We'll know soon enough, I suppose, Now, when when they get into that Leinster.
4: I was just feeling a bit sorry for you yesterday, Willie. I was following the <laughs> scores on this and sure, I knew you were at the game and you could have been watching a Tipperary Hurling final that was going all the way <laughs> at the same time. So, uh, But yeah, after all you said there, I have to say I'm looking forward to watching Port Arlington the kind of the mix of the youth and a bit of experience as well, and playing with a bit of pace and a bit of kind of adventure too, which is uh, which is exciting. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they go, and hopefully the the fly the flag for Leash. I was walking out. Um with Mannix yesterday and Itzy and, and Aria and we're walking across I
3: think it was about I, well, I was up the far end and I wanted to walk out There was about 54 minutes gone and I said I'll see out the last few minutes down at the very end and be able to get out the gate uh, straight away and I was walking past the Port Harlington subs and you know there was a sideline ball went over that they were contesting and he says "Ah, you know they were giving out that's a Port ball just as well it's not close or something you know kind of half jeering and I was like, oh. <laughs> like I will be mentioning this if they're, if you're in a Port Leash dressing room you'd be definitely saying this if they play them played them next year but look uh, congratulations to Port Harrington. I mentioned that they play the Westmead champions and um, that's gone to a replay um, so they'll have to play the replay next week and then play Port Arlington um, the following week. Desi Dolan came back, 42. So he retired in 2019 after the loss in the Leinster club to, um, to Ballyboden. Um, he hasn't played since then. He's been training away apparently with, with, uh, with Gary Castle. He got a hamstring injury. His first appearance the whole year uh, Niall, is coming on with with something like 10 minutes to go in a county final. It was a bizarre one at 42 years of age. A retired 42-year-old who hadn't played in two years, hadn't played all year. If I was a sub on that team and I saw that, I'd be like, here, good luck for the replay.
4: I was just going to say, like, only it's Desi Dolan. Well, yeah, like, obviously you know, a legend. Yeah? One of the best ever footballers <laughs> to play for Westmead. I'd say, the, I'd say the subs would have been going mad, like, because... Uh, like, I remember him retiring and that seemed, it was 2019, like, that is a, that's a while ago now. And especially for a 42-year-old, a lad like that. Do you know, like, you'd, you'd want to be training. Like, they're saying he's training on his own. I don't know how much he's doing, but you'd want to be training with the team at that age. And uh, it's a strange one, but look, they, they, they didn't lose the game anyway.
3: No, John Keane explained it. John Keane, obviously, ex-Westmead All-Star uh, and teammate of, of Desi. Um, it's Gary is the is the Gary Castle manager which you know you, if you were a sub you'd be like <laughs> yeah, okay Desi you're a legend and everything your brother's manager mate and you retired <laughs> two years uh, but John Keen explained he says everyone in Gary Castle knows he's training but outside of um uh, everybody in Gary Castle knows he's training but everyone outside of it just thinks he's tipping along he pulled a hammer early in the year but I suppose a shorter season suits him down to the ground that's him kind of explaining it so look um, St. Loman's got the last uh, point to draw St. Lomans have been in their that was their 7th consecutive final they won 4 out of 6 um, before this weekend a very interesting one came up towards the end I and mean, you know we're completely anti-fisting points on this show completely um, but there is an occasion in a game where it's completely and utterly acceptable to fist a point and that is you're a point up this is either this is the last attack of the game or the referee will allow the opposition one attack after this attack. You're allowed fist pass a point on that occasion to put two in it and then you make sure that the opposition have to come up the other end of the field and score a goal rather than draw it with a point. That's not what happened in this game. Alex Gardner, who apparently had a brilliant game other than this, and I don't want to single him out because we all make make mistakes. So John Heston scored a 40 metre free to put one point in it. From the kick-out, Alex Gardner caught it, ran down the field and ended up one-on-one with the goalkeeper. This was the last attack of the game, or pretty much. Alex Gardner went for the goal. Now, Keen Ward would be very proud of him. Doesn't matter at what time. But had Alex Gardner hand-passed that, point, that over the bar, loman has got one more attack. As it happens, the goalkeeper, uh, Jason Daly, made the save, kept one in it, loman has got a little lift, Lowmans went up the field and John Heslin equalised. You have to fist that over to Barley. Yeah, I mean, well, you live and die by
5: these decisions, don't you? Because if it had to hit the net, you know, he'd have been the hero on the day and we'd be sitting here talking about, you know, why you always have to put it in the net and be brave and going for goal and fortune favours the brave and every other cliche that you can think of. But I mean, like a part of me, a big part of me still respects him in that situation because I just, you know, I don't have that in me to be in that situation right at the end of the game. Bowing down on goal, knowing rightly that the, the easy option is also the correct option. But if I gamble here, like I've escalated or catapulted us, you know, um, to the trophy, and I was really brave in doing so. And definitely, naming the back pages, uh, it would have been full of confidence as well. I think he'd scored four points, only one of them was from free, so three from play. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, the keeper made the save and fair play to him on that. But he, he made the wrong decision. You got to just fist it over, uh, over the bar at that situation. And one of the, it's one of the very few situations, that or if you're at a really weird sort of angle. But um, in, in that situation, yeah, he just, he had to do it, didn't. Um, it'd be interesting to see uh, in the replay then if uh, he's in a similar situation, what he goes for.
3: Yeah, I think you have to fist the ball because, you know, like, I mean, it's very, very, there are freaks Occasions where the opposition will go up and score a goal, but like I mean, that happens maybe one time out of a hundred. Like the 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 right thing to do here is fist that ball over the bar, put huge pressure on the kick out, you know, and and just close the game out, and that's it. John Keane defended him again. I don't want to be too hard on Alex, who was very good in the match again. Like like I said, he said we always tell Alex to go for a goal when it's on. Without him, we wouldn't be here. You know that he'd he'd played so well. But like I suppose that's just Alex taking instruction from a manager and just running with it you know (laughs) like I mean we always I'll change that for John Keane we always tell Alex to go for the goal when it's on except if it's our (laughs) it's the last attack of the game and we want to go two up you know like I mean I suppose that's it
4: yeah, I would have probably fisted it over the bar, but I have a lot of respect for Alex Gardner. Uh, those fisted points, I think they should be banned.
3: You can't fist slitters over the bar, so I don't no, know what you... can't hand-pass goals, <laughs> you can't hand-pass
4: slitters over the bar. Daily yeah, like football needs to just get rid of that fisted point. And well, I would agree
3: with that. I would agree with that. If you did away with it altogether, I don't think the game would lose anything. Um, I don't think it's a huge skill, uh, full stop. Um, uh, Craigan. Craig and Kickhams uh, this is the last one we don't have two m- Ratfilly obviously beat A Rogan that was a huge win uh, Shelmaliers won in Wexford um, very big win they won the hurling last year win the football uh, football um, this year uh, penalty drama in Cork there's more Covid drama in Galway which we might talk about um, on Thursday Craig lifted the first one since 1954 after all the heartbreak league which is fantastic won it easily too like I mean you know over St. Mary's um, Ahagallan.
5: Yeah, and I think Attengall was playing with um, sort of a sweeper-keeper the whole game, a bit of a a Niall Morgan uh, situation going on. And Later on in the game, he got caught out pretty badly. The ball broke and it sort of flew over his head and it just fell to the... Craig and forwards who had a big open gaping goal with loads of options in front of them. And as soon as that went in, you know, it was it was sort of story over. But it was just nice to see a change in Antrim in general. You know, Cargan have been very dominant. And if it's not Cargan, it's usually St. Gall's. So, you know, to have two different finalists, um, I can yeah, take a lot from that, getting to their first ever final. You know, they can take confidence from it. Craig and finally getting over the line, you know, because they've they've been the annoyed neighbours of Cargan for, for so long. And to get their first title since the, was it the 60s? I mean, that's absolutely huge for them. And, you know, um, I know a couple of Greg and boys and they're already talking about Ulster, which is one of the weird ones because like, you know, talking to uh, the Glen ones and whoever else, you know, they're not even thinking about it or it's not, you know, it wasn't one of the first things that came to their thought anyway. I'm sure they're prepared now. But um, them, them boys, they did have an A on it. You know, it's something that the boys uh,
3: wanted to give a whirl at. And now they get the opportunity to. So they haven't won a county title since 1954. And these lads win it and they're talking about Ulster club titles. <laughs> no,
5: in fairness, like I uh, it's a lot of boys' brothers and stuff. They're talking to me. Right? Like, ah, okay, that's, they, the you know, they, you know, that's okay. It's okay. one of the first things that they were saying. I just they're super excited. <laughs> I think it's the day out as well. Um, and like I said, they're, they're so used to watching Cargan compete in them situations and in them tournaments, and they would have so many relatives, you know, playing for them, but also.
3: Uh, really hoping that they lose. <laughs> yeah, well like I mean like supporters are allowed to say things like this but there is one time I will allow a cliche when I said to Niall D. C. about Ballygunner oh well we're not thinking about Ballygunner you know that cliche oh we don't want to mm-hmm. we don't want to think mm-hmm. about it on the Monday after county final you don't want to think about it like I mean it's the furthest <laughs> thing from your, from your mind and if somebody started talking about the, the Leinster, the Munster, Ulster club on the Monday after county final go away <laughs> what are you talking about there's plenty of time plenty of time to talk about that but anyways that's just uh my experience of it anyways right listen that's all we've time for today we've probably gone over time and apologies to any club that we can't uh, that we haven't given a bit of time to it's very hard when there's not that many games on television but I think we covered a good bit today we'll be back on Thursday um, and we'll preview whatever weekends club finals that there is as well so we'll talk to you all then good luck
1: but this little dink ball no one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass the weight is taken over hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest
3: why do you not do many interviews?
0: Oh, really. Yeah, I must be asked to do, hopefully. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And I wrote to me, I hey, cover you, free state bastards. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs>